For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I just love when the front pew is filled. This is wonderful. Great to see all you, Elliot's. Um, I assume the answer to this question is yes, but um, have most of you seen one of those TV shows always running on HGTV where they um, buy an old kind of broken down home, a fixer-upper, and then they fix it up real nice, and then they surprise the, the, the new owner? You've, you've all seen those shows, right? Um, we found out a couple weekends ago when our kids got a chance to see one that our kids love those shows. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we have a lot of them in our future. Um, it's interesting to think about why they're so popular I think it's because God himself has placed in us an affection and a longing to see things that are broken being made new. Right? Isn't that a summary of the effects of the gospel in our lives? It's an, so I think it's a godly instinct that we love seeing old homes fixed up fancy. And when uh, an old house is fully remodeled and renovated, even though it rests on the old foundations, the hosts of the TV show still say, what do you think of your new home? Right? It's a new home, so thorough is the remodel. I think this serves as an okay analogy um, for what the Bible talks about when it talks about a new heavens and a new earth. Because, right? of course, we have the present earth and the present heavens, and it's plural because um, heavens meant both the sky and then the heavens where the angels are, and then the heaven of heavens where God is. The new heavens and the new earth. When Jesus comes again, the great thing and the hope, the focal point of Advent, and all human beings who have ever lived um, are placed before him in judgment. And those of us who lived and died trusting in his mercy will be given everlasting pardon. What happens then? What's next? That's actually not the end of the story, right? That's just what precipitates the end of the story. In that same action, and if you want to study this carefully, um, Second Peter kind of gives us the most clear and explicit vision. It says that um, God will take the entire cosmos and roll it up like a scroll. I actually love those like space-time fabric maps in like a physics textbook or something. Like you can kind of picture that rolled up and then he'll cleanse it as with the way something is cleansed with fire. That's the image that's used in the Bible. The way that fire makes something clean, like it burns out the bad stuff. And then from that purified, rolled-up cosmos, he will rebuild a new cosmos, a new heavens, and a new earth. Uh, And the new one will be free from all that was decayed and battered and broken down in the first one. Hebrew doesn't have a word for remodel, but it's kind of like an extreme remodeling. Or, and all the things that are cast away, you know there's that shot in those TV shows where they show the huge pile of like half rotten wood and old drywall kind of stacked up. Isaiah actually gives us, a, he calls all those things the former things. The things that are going to be gutted in the demo as part of God's saving work. And they will be banished to hell forever. And the new heavens and the new earth will be made from the substance of these heavens and this earth. In the same way that our bodies, that when they're raised, will be made from the, the essence of these actual bodies, right? Jesus could still show his scars. It's the same body that gets put in the ground when we die, is the same body that gets raised up. But even though it's from the same substance, it's been so changed that it's right to call it a new thing, a new home. 
And this place, um, the new heavens, the new earth, just to clarify, it's not like there's two different places. That's one phrase for one place, new heavens and new earth. The Bible actually uses several phrases to describe this one place, the holy mountain, the new Jerusalem, all different words for the same thing. Um, and in a way, it's actually where the Lord's prayer will be fully answered, where things on earth will be f as they are in heaven. The new heavens and the new earth is one place where God is at the center and the redeemed together with the angels are inhabiting. So when we think about Jesus' coming, as we do in Advent, we're right to have in view the full end game. And it can be hard to picture um, what this will look like. Scripture only gives us a few clues. Um, and you, know, you catch the hardness of the description if you ever try and study Revelation, right? It's like, it's kind of like these gemstones and these colors, and it, I think that was the light of the glory. I mean, oh, sorry, John doesn't say I think because God gave him the words, but still trying to describe the vision of heaven, when you put it into words, it sounds kind of weird. Like all these gemstones and rainbows. And it's like, I mean, it's words trying to capture w what a fully renovated cosmos looks like. It's easier to kind of look, point out the things in the junk pile that got scrapped in the demo. So that's what I want to look at in Isaiah 65, the things that won't be there. So think of a world like ours, but with all of these things permanently removed from it. Verse 19 says, weeping. No more weeping. And it's not because, well, we'll all be stoics and just not have emotions. It's because the things that make you weep will be gone. Right? Anything that's painful or sad will be taken away. So we won't need to weep anymore. It's actually sort of overwhelming. Think right now just using like probabilities, how many people right now on the surface of the earth are weeping? Probably hundreds of thousands, right? All those stuck in destitute situations, in abusive relationships, having recently lost a loved one to death. In this country, a lot of families going through that. All of the causes of weeping will be taken away. Verse 20 says, no longer will there be an infant who lives but a few days. No more miscarriages. No more SIDS, no more childhood cancer, no more St. Jude's Hospital, no more early deaths. Verse 22 says, they shall not plant and another eat. Meaning that all of the sort of inequalities and injustices and imbalances on the face of the earth right now will be gone. No one will be destitute. There won't be any sort of um, circumstantial failures of like the distribution of necessary goods. We'll all have what we need. All will be satisfied. Verse 25, you know, we, we famously kind of, everybody in, in kind of cultural memory, we misquote like, you know, the lion and the lamb lying down together. It's the wolf and the lamb in Isaiah. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, which means all of nature, not just human relationships, all of nature will exist in a harmony that it was supposed to have in creation before sin entered the world. No more will um, species damage other species for survival. It won't be dog-eat-dog -dog anymore. And Isaiah's almost going down the list of the animals that trouble you if you live in Judea, right? The mountain lion, the, the serpent, you know, the things that cause trouble. I like, to, I like to think of kind of extending that list, kind of 21st century midrash, you know, mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> and we know, you know, bacteria, like illness-causing bacteria. 
coronaviruses, anything where a species hurts another species, Isaiah says, they shall not hurt or destroy. Everything will be in harmony. And the last thing is, um, I skipped over verse 24 because I wanted to save it to the end because I think there's a sort of very sweet mystery in it. Verse 24 said, um, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The I, of course, is God. When I first looked at this, I thought, is this one of those like prophetic tangents where they're just so full of the revelation of God, they're just kind of shooting off different ways? And I don't think it is, actually. It looks like that. But if you think about it, one of the things that makes this life especially painful is how often God delays in answering our prayers. Right? Or sometimes ne seemingly never answers them. That we go year after year sometimes praying for the same things. And where's the answer? It's one of the great mysteries that Christians, we can begin to sort of scratch at the edges of an answer, but there's never actually a fully satisfying answer in this veil of tears. Especially when we're asking for things that we know uh, comport with God's general will. What I love about this verse is I, it reveals to me, and this was kind of a revelation to me, that um, God isn't blind to this pain. He actually knows that it's frustrating to us that our prayers aren't answered more rapidly. And that's why he includes as a promise as to what's to come in the next life, in the new heavens and the new earth, that then the prayers will be answered so fast that even while you're speaking, before you finish the sentence, the prayer is answered. I so, sort of think um, that, like, you know, you know, you can be kind of like in sync with your spouse and like before they start saying something, you've already got it in your hand and, you know, you're working on the same wavelength. Because that's like how we'll be in heaven. We'll be on the same wavelength with God, fully sanctified, fully participating in the mind of Christ, beholding him face to face. But what I love is that that doesn't mean there'll be this sort of static, kind of frozen relationship in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth. It will still be dynamic. We'll still be asking for things, but yet he'll answer them before we're even finished asking in this joyful, abundant relationship. In the new heavens and earth, there'll be no more waiting for answered prayer. That's a comfort to me because it's so easy to grow weary in praying for things. There'll be no more waiting, period, because all will be fulfilled. No more Advent celebrations because the King will have come. No more longings because they will all be satisfied. What a thing to look forward to. What a day to wait for. That's why St. Paul can end, um, I think it's 1 Corinthians, and he says, Maranatha! Come, Lord, quickly. And we know from the prophet Amos, it, we're not looking forward to Judgment Day in itself. right? Amos says, well, that's going to be a terrifying day. What we're excited about is the thing on the other side of Judgment Day. That's what Paul is saying. Come, Lord, quickly to fully remodel the house. Let's get rid of all this decay and destruction. Maranatha, come, Lord, quickly. Amen. <laughs>